0: Listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, bethelbible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Let me say good morning, church, and add my welcome to Marla's. We're glad that you are here today on this uh, very last day of. February, for the first Sunday in February, and we do hope you'll come back next week for communion and and potluck. It's always a great time to be together. I want to be honest with you this morning, we have some heavy lifting to do this morning. We're going to talk about some very difficult verses, hard to understand, Uh, so we're going to have to slow down at times, take our time, and make sure we look at some very important words but it is such a very familiar passage. It is a passage that many of us probably grew up memorizing, Galatians 2.20, that I've been crucified with Christ. and So we're going to talk through some great things this morning. But you know, we live in a world where we are constantly, and I feel this, we are constantly trying to justify ourselves. At your job, you are trying to show your worth. You're trying to Uh, show your value by working hard, and many times when we're frustrated, it's because we feel like we've done what we need to do, but then our efforts kind of go unnoticed, and we do not feel justified in what we have done. Or maybe you go out with your friends, or hey, it is a life group night for many of our groups, and you know, we're constantly concerned about, what do I need to wear? Or am I going to say the right thing? Is my house clean enough? Did What I made, are people going to like it? And we put all this pressure because we want to be justified. We want to be seen rightly in people's eyes. Even our children and teenagers, they participate in sports and drama groups and bands and these things. And they practice and they work hard. Because they don't want to be seen as someone that is not good enough. And all that really is, is they want to be accepted. They want to be justified in people's eyes. But because we live in a world where we are constantly feel this way, and we're constantly looking to be justified, and we want ourselves to be seen rightly, it makes it really hard for us to be able to see and to approach God rightly. Because we take what we are trying to do in every other area of our lives, and then we do the same thing with God. So I want to paint you a picture this morning I stole, so I'm going to give credit to D.A. Carson this morning. But suppose you woke up. The alarm didn't work, and so you're late. Your spouse is grumpy, and you can't even find clean socks. You dash out to the car, and you didn't even get to have a good breakfast. You know your boss is going to growl at you. You put your keys in the ignition, and nothing happens. You knew you should have taken care of that battery. Eventually, you get to work late, and yes, you get chewed out, and you've been given notice that you might be sacked from the company. The company is slimming down. It's hard economic times, you know. You have a couple of difficult decisions, and then, then at the water coup, One of your coworkers raises some Christian question, and you can't be bothered, and you bite his head off. Then you go home, and there's a note. It says, out with my friends, you'll find some leftovers in the fridge. And you think, doesn't she know how much I hate leftovers? You see the kids later, they're all in bad moods. And that night, you get down to pray, and it might sound something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, this has been a rotten day. I haven't reacted very well. I'm sorry, but it has just been a rotten day. I'm sorry, and, but you know, tomorrow, tomorrow I will try better. Bless everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. And hey, we've all had days that might be similar to that. But then there are days... Where you get a good night's sleep and you wake up feeling great. Nothing aches and hurts. The birds are singing. The air is crisp. You know, man, today it's going to be a winter. All your clothes are laid out for you. You can uh, smell bacon coming from the kitchen. Yes, a, a good breakfast is before me. You get in the car, you put that key in the ignition and vroom, yes. You drive to work and you actually get there a little bit early. Your boss notices and even commends you and says, you know, I've been thinking about expanding the division. Would you like to be up, uh, and you would be up for being the manager of this new division? And you think, yes, Lord. Then the poor sucker that you just clobbered a few weeks ago at the water cooler comes back and he asks you something else, another religious question, but this time you testify with humility and grace and insight that is well beyond your years. It even ends with you inviting him to church. You get home and there is a wonderful meal. The kids, they're just right little angels. The family devotions just go superb. That night you go to bed and your prayer might even sound something like this. Eternal and majestic heavenly father. In the fullness of your grace, I bow before you at the end of this day and thank you for the magnificence of all of your faithful blessings upon me, your humble servant. Pretty soon, you're into propitiation and reconciliation. You're praying for the people at your church, the ministry, the gospel, worldwide missions, all of the missionaries you've ever heard of, and their first cousins twice removed, and on and on and on. And pretty soon, you go to bed justified. You know both times you would have been an other pagan because you had the audacity to think that you enter into the presence of our holy God based upon what kind of day you've had. And nothing, nothing could be farther from the truth of grace. Nothing could be more demeaning to grace or more destructive to grace justification. In fact, I think it's like spitting on the significance of the cross of Christ and we do it all the time because of our need to be right, the need to be justified. So this morning, my hope and prayer is that we would walk away with a more complete view and understanding of what justification means because that really that is the purpose. You could boil all of Galatians down to one word justification. So to help us this morning, in verses 15 to 21, we'll close up chapter 2 this week. um, Paul's going to do a series of contrasts. I saw three. He's going to contrast Jews by birth to Gentile sinners. He's then going to walk down through justification by works, contrasted with justification by faith. Then he'll talk about denying or dying to the law but living by faith to God. And he's going to do these series of contrasts. So let's look at the first one. What is he talking about when he's talking about Jews by birth versus Gentile sinners? So back in verse 15, it says, We ourselves are Jews by birth. So who are the we? I believe it's himself Paul. I believe he's also continuing his conversation with Peter but also all the other Jews that might be around them at this time. So we, he's saying, we are Jews by by birth. And these men are faithful to follow the Jewish traditions of diet and ceremonies and circumcision and keeping the law. And he's saying, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, we... And I have to be careful here, and we have to make sure that we understand what Paul means by sinners. Because it really is helpful when we get to verse 17 to understand what he means when he's talking to these people. Because remember, he's writing to Christians in Galatia. Most of them would have been Gentiles, and he has just called you a Gentile sinner. So what does he mean? He's not saying that Jews are not sinners and, and Gentiles are. He's not making that type of <coughs> comparison. But he's saying, sinner are those who do not follow the traditions or keeping the law like the Pharisees. He's saying, a sinner is someone that does not follow the law or keep the tradition of the Pharisees. So a Jew thought that a Gentile was a sinner simply because they did not follow the Jewish traditions. You were a Jew by birth, you followed them, you were a sinner if you did not follow the customs of the Jewish ways. Now, this is going to be important when we get to verse 17. So he's setting the stage of who he's talking to. Now, verse 16. Yet, we know. Remember who the we? Paul, Peter, the other Gentile Christians. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believe In Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So verse 16 is this proclamation of belief. Paul is saying that him and and Peter, probably the other other Jewish Christians that are there, they believe that we are justified not by works of the law but through faith in Christ. And he's going back to say, but Peter, Peter knows this. He has all of the right beliefs. But remember last week, when he began drawing back from extending Christian fellowship with those Gentile Christians, he wasn't living in step with what he believed. So Peter has all the right uh, beliefs, but his actions were not in step. Hypocrisy. So he's contrasting. Jewish by birth, we follow these things. Gentile sinners, it's simply because you don't follow these things. Now look at the second contrast justification by works to justification by faith. So, justification is so interesting that this is the first time this word is ever used. The first time. And count real quick, look down through that verse. Never used this word before, but for the first time, he's going to use it three times in this one verse. So what does he mean when he says that a person about the idea of justification? So first of all, no, it's a legal term. It's a legal term that someone, typically a judge, would pronounce over someone. So to declare someone as right is what it meant to be. Justify, to declare or to pronounce righteousness. So in this case, Paul is saying that God, the righteous judge, can declare a person innocent or to be right with him. It's up to the judge. He's the one that gets to make the final say. But get this, justification is not simply God forgiving someone. Justification isn't just forgiveness of a person's sins because a person can be forgiven. You can be forgiven, but you still have a record. All it takes is for you to commit another sin, another violation, and guess what? You are then guilty again. But when God, the righteous judge, justifies a person, they're not simply forgiven. They are pronounced justified. And when God justifies a person, the beauty is you can never be found guilty again. So once justified, you're always justified. But it it gets even better. Justification is a declarative act. God can declare it. It's not a process. So once you're justified, you're always justified. And you can never be found guilty again. But it also is a process. Meaning, you can't be more justified than you are right now if you are found to be in Christ. Meaning, there is a, a Christian that is any more justified than someone else. Now, can a person be more godly in their lives? Absolutely. Look at Peter and Paul in this instance. But a Christian is no more justified than another Christian. So you all might know Good Johnny. I'll call him that. You know, Good Johnny grows up in a a loving, Christian, God-fearing home with a mother and father. He faithfully attends Bible study and worship. He learns to faithfully give his tithes and his offerings. He grows up to be a great friend. And a helpful neighbor. And when he comes to faith in Christ, he is justified. But then there's also bad Johnny. The young child that grows up not knowing who his parents are. He's passed around from foster home to foster home. Spends even some time in a residential treatment center. Even a time in prison. But he meets someone that shares the gospel with him. He comes to faith in Christ. And he is just as justified as good Johnny. Because it's a declaration by the righteous judge, not a process. He is the one that can declare us. And once the declaration has been given, a person can never be found guilty again. Because once justified, you are always justified. So now, the all-important in question, he's setting up this idea of justification. Then how? How is a person justified on the basis of what God would declare? How, what would he look at? What is he going to do to declare a person innocent? Well, this is the second contrast. He's going to put up on one side justification by works, and then he's going to put on justification by faith in Christ. So let's talk about... The first comparison, the works. He mentions it, I think, three times in this verse also. So what is the law? Well, it's, the law is this specific divine requirements that God gave Israel through Moses. And you remember that story. goes up, God gives him the law, can't even get back down the mountain before they're already breaking it. But I want us to understand something about the law. Because maybe I haven't painted it in the healthiest light lately. But according to Romans 7.12, the law, those requirements, they are righteous and holy. Containing the commandments of a holy and righteous God. The law is good. So what is the law? This is how I wrote it. The law is you must love and serve the living God. Have no other gods or God's substitutes. You must respect His name and His day. Honor your parents. You must avoid adultery and murder and theft. You shouldn't bear false witness against your neighbor or covet anything that they have. But in addition to the moral law, there's the ceremonial law, which you must observe. You must be circumcised. Join the Jewish church. You must take your religion seriously, searching the scriptures privately and attending public worship. You must fast and pray and give alms. And if you do all of these things and do not fail in any single area at any moment, guess what? You make the grade. That's the law. God will accept you and you will be justified by the works of the law. But here's the truth. No human deed, however well motivated or sincerely performed, can ever achieve the kind of standing before God that results in the verdict of justified. Can't do it. But this was the issue of the day. The Judaizers, they prided themselves. They looked at what they were doing and they prided themselves on how well they were keeping the law, but they were blinded to their own sinfulness. So then how is a person, if that isn't the way, then how is a person declared righteous and and justified by the righteous God? He says that it's through faith in Christ. A person is only justified through faith in Christ. But we need to be clear to make sure we understand this. That faith, it is not an achievement that earns you salvation any more than your works do. Faith is not an achievement. Rather, faith is evidence of saving grace. That's what faith is. It is is evidence of saving grace. Because we are not righteous by doing, we are righteous by believing. So do you believe that you are justified by God only through what Christ has done and not through your own goodness and efforts and works? Then that's faith. If you believe that, then that is faith. So here's Paul's point. Peter and Paul both believe that a sinner is justified through faith in Christ and not in works of the law. He wants to make sure that we all understand that that is the case. They both agree. But Peter was not living according to that belief when he was refusing to include the Gentiles in their Christian fellowship. So now we get to the most difficult verse, I believe, in Galatians. Verse 17, it wrestled with it for such a long time. This is how it reads. But if in our endeavor, in our efforts, in our works to be justified in Christ, we too... Were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Question mark. And Paul says, certainly not. So what does Paul mean by this? That in their endeavor to be justified in Christ, that we were found, would we be found to be sinners? Does that make then Christ a servant of sin? Well, the key is to remembering back to that area. If you make notes, you need to draw a line, circle the word sinner in verse 15, back to where he says in verse 17. Because remember verse 15, the word is used to talk about a person who does not, or is not under, or not living according to the Jewish laws or customs. That's what a sinner means, someone not following the Jewish traditions or customs. So let me rephrase it. You might could read it this way. Suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ alone, because that's what he's setting up over and over again. Then, aren't we encouraging people to neglect the Jewish customs and laws? Question mark. Because if that is true, then doesn't that make Christ an agent of sin? And Paul's answer is certainly not. So Paul is probably restating an argument that the Judaizers were proposing to him. And it's it's critical to see what Paul is really affirming and what he is denying. So this is what Paul is affirming in this. Paul is affirming that he and Peter and the other Jewish Christians are seeking justification in Christ alone. Not in their works. And in doing so, they actually are becoming sinners like the Gentiles, but this is what he denies. But Paul is totally denying that this makes Christ an agent of sin. And why is that? It's because it is not sin to be a sinner in this sense. It is not sin to free yourself from the ceremonial Jewish laws in order to walk in unity with the Gentile Christians. It's not a sin to stop depending on works. So Paul then will complete the argument. Look at verse 18. So if that's the case, that if that's what we're doing, we're, we're becoming sinners in the, in the sense that we are not following, we're not coming underneath the Jewish customs and laws so that we can have fellowship with Gentiles. And then verse 18, because he says, For if I then rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Paul is saying that the only sin would be to leave faith in Christ and to once again return to the works of the law to be justified. Paul says, if you try to go back and be reconciled with God by what you do, then yes, you are a transgressor. And I think we so easily fall back into this that we would say infirm, yes, salvation in Jesus Christ and Him alone, I could never earn it, I can never do anything to deserve God's love and forgiveness. And then we try to set out to prove ourselves worthy. But look at then the third contrast. Dying to the law, living to God. So we've seen Jews by birth, Gentile sinners, Justification by works of the law, justification in Christ alone. Now dying to the law, but living to God. Look at verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law. And I want to go, Paul, you're killing me here. What in the world do you mean that through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God? So first we need to understand the purpose of the law. Remember, the law is good. It says in Romans 7, it's righteous. The law was originally given, I don't know, maybe like a railroad track or or something like that. It was meant to guide Israel's obedience. The law was given Israel. In fact, they had a tremendous advantage over the Gentiles. The law showed them their sin and even their need for forgiveness. Think about the sacrificial system. What is that meant to tell? It meant to tell that you are coming to God and you are filthy. There is nothing that you can do inside you to make yourself clean. So therefore, something must die in your place. That lamb, that goat. It's to teach them, it was to guide them, it was to be a training ground to show their need of forgiveness and the seriousness of their sin. So the law and the sacrificial system should have showed Israel, that there is no way a person could ever save themselves or be justified by the works. That's what they should have learned. The law was only to serve, think of it this way, as a diagnostic tool. (laughs) It's been almost two years ago. I did something really stupid. I should have known better. Um, My grandfather and my dad, they always taught me, you never use something for an intended purpose, or for a purpose that it wasn't intended to do. You know, I learned early on that you don't take a baseball bat and try to let someone throw you a basketball and hit it with a baseball bat. You know why? You'll wake up, you won't know where you are, and your head will be split wide open. But I I was in a hurry, and um, I had some deer horns. I was going to Cut the deer horns off the little skull plate, and uh, we were going decor- to was going to do some decorating the house, and it was just taking way too long. We were going to have to get cleaned up and go to uh, the millers. We were going over there to eat supper that night, and uh, I looked at that compound miter saw, and I had a great idea. That table, that's st- this hacksaw is just too dull. I know that compound miter saw, it'll just right through those horns. I'll be done in 30 seconds. Well, I learned that it's not the case. When you take big teeth on a big saw blade, it will cut great through pine or maybe even cedar. Um, But what that saw blade will not do is cut through hardened bone. And so when that saw blade grabbed a hold of that deer horn, all I saw was uh, the deer horn in my life flash before my face as that deer horn was coming up to me. And then it, it hit my hand and it broke my finger. I remember the pain set in. I went to the doctor. I can hear them talking outside, and they were discussing who was going to come back in and reset my finger. And I think they were drawing straws or something because everybody wanted to do this until they saw the x-rays. And can you imagine coming in and trying to set a finger that the x-ray showed had two complete full breaks above and below the middle knuckle? Um, So that x-ray saved me from a lot of pain, Um, They did not do that. They wrapped it up, and they sent me on that way. So the x-ray is a a lot like the law. It's a diagnostic tool. The the x-ray was a great thing for me. It showed the doctors what was wrong, but the x-ray could never fix my finger. To fix my finger, you know what had to happen? I had to be not completely unconscious. Somebody other than me had to come in and do for me what I could never do myself. And I simply had to trust in what those doctors were doing. But what if I'd have said, you know what, no thank you. I've got this this x-ray and the x-ray is all that I need. And every day I went and looked at that x-ray. I looked at those images, but the x-ray could never All it could do was to show me my problem. It could never solve my problem. So here's Paul's point. When he came to faith in Christ, he realized two things about the law. When he came to faith in Christ, the law then showed him that his wickedness was really that wicked. But it also showed him that all of his goodness was not enough. So by seeing the law through faith in Christ, Paul had to die to the thought that he could ever earn his way to God. For him to actually live to God, he had to die to any notion that he would ever be good enough on his own. So Paul is saying he was now dead to thinking that his works of the law could save him. There was no turning back for Paul. He would never again think that his works of the law could ever cure him. Only faith in Christ could do that. But Paul still knew, Paul still followed, Paul still respected the law. In fact, he even began after this. You can read in Acts, uh, I think Acts 21. He even goes through the ceremonial washing, he even pays for four other men to go with him. Paul loved the law, he saw it as righteous, but he knew he could never trust in the law to fix his problem. He was now dead to that way of thinking. And when he realized that, that's when you get the famous words of 20. So once he realizes he is dead to the law, that it was through the law, that he died to the law, of any notion it could fix his problem, he was then free to live to God. And then he writes, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ that lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul is at the place where nothing else in the world matters to him but Christ. Nothing else in this world could come close. His faith is not in himself or in others or in the law, but only in Christ. But Paul has been... Struggling his whole life with this. He's been struggling his whole life to be accepted by God. In fact, he thought all that he was doing was good. And finally, finally, I believe he is at a place of peace and security and freedom. Because Paul is now living by faith in the Son of God. But what does that actually mean? What does it mean to live by faith in the Son of God? It means you are living by faith when you believe Christ every moment of every day. When you believe Him to be all that you need. When you believe Him to be your love and your joy and your peace. When you believe Him to be your salvation more than money and houses and cars and stuff. When you believe Him to be your purity and your holiness and your power over sin. is Christianity. It's believing Christ to be everything that you need for every moment that you live. That is living by faith in the Son of God. But here's the hard part. How can you really trust Christ to be all that you need? Because things happen. Circumstances mount up, bad news comes, things break down, Uh, things don't work out the way that you should, that they should. How is it? How can we really trust that Christ will be all that we need in every single moment of our lives? I think it is by reminding ourselves of the last part of that verse, where he says that he is the one who loves you and gave himself. For you. So when the hard moments come to trust, remember Jesus is totally for you. He did not hold anything back to have you. Because then he closes with these words verse 21 I do not nullify, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Meaning Christ will do everything for you or nothing. Christ will ever, he'll do everything for you or he will do nothing. You cannot combine works and grace. Because if justification is by works of the law in any way, he says Christ's death is meaningless. So imagine that your house were burning down. But you get your whole family out. Everyone escapes. And someone walks up to you and says, you know, let me show you how much I love you. And they run into that house and they perish. We would think, what a tragic and pointless waste of a life. But now imagine that your house is on fire and you get out and one of your children is still in there and someone says to you, let me show you how much I love you, and they run into the flames, and they save your child, but they perish. You would think, look at how much that person loved us. Because if you could save yourself, Christ's death is pointless. But when we realize that we cannot save ourselves, Christ's death will mean everything to you. So I would simply close by asking you a question this morning. Are you right in God's eyes this morning? Are you right in His eyes? And if you're not for sure, I invite you to believe that a person is declared right and perfect and and justified by believing, not by doing. And simply ask God if it is true. But if you would say, no, I'm sure, I, I know I'm right in His eyes. And heed the words of Paul. We're never turned to the lie that you have to approach God based on the type of day you have had. You are justified now and for all eternity. It is a declarative act, not a process. Let me pray. Father, this morning, I thank you that we do not have to approach you based on our own works that we do not have to find our value and our worth by our performance that we are declared righteous by you the righteous judge when we believe not by what we do So, father if we are this morning and we say yes we are right in your eyes help us to never go back to thinking that we must prove ourselves but Father, if there's anyone here this morning and say, I'm not for sure how I stand in God's eyes, would you make it evident to them this morning that you would declare them righteous by believing in your son Jesus Christ and not in what they do? Thank you for the truth and the promise that we are righteous by believing, not by doing. So it was in your son's name and by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen.